This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Clyde Snow and Sessions, based in Salt Lake City with offices in Oregon and California. For over 65 years, Clyde Snow has represented clients throughout the West. Clyde Snow, serious about solutions. Hello, and welcome to Ripple Effect, a podcast putting water into context. I'm Emily Lewis, your host, and I'm a water attorney here in Salt Lake City, Utah, practicing creative solutions to today's and tomorrow's water problems. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, everybody. This week on Ripple Effect, we are revisiting a discussion that we had earlier in our career with Jay Humphrey of the Emory Water Conservancy District and Amy Green from the Rural Water Technology Alliance. And we are talking about their exact track water software. I chose to revisit this conversation because there's been a lot of really good dialogue lately about the need for better monitoring and metering our systems. And the governor just recently announced a, a new four, $45 million appropriation for water in the state of Utah with a large emphasis on investing in infrastructure very similar to what Jay and Amy have already done. So I thought this would be a timely discussion to revisit. And um, we'll get back to you real quickly with new content in the coming weeks. Thank you so much. Hello, and welcome to the 11th episode of Ripple Effect, a podcast putting water into context. I'm very excited for our discussion today. Uh, This is one of the discussions I wanted to have from the very beginning of this venture. Um, Today, I have with me Jay Humphrey from the Emory Water Conservancy District and Amy Green from the Rural Water Technology Alliance. And I really wanted to have these two people here with me today to talk about how technology is playing an increasingly important role in our water management, what they've done for their operations, and how the lessons that they've learned can be applied to greater water management decisions in the state of Utah, and just kind of give a good example of kind of on-the-ground implementation of technology and, and how that works to our benefit. So to start us off, Jay, if you wouldn't mind, could you just kind of give us a little introduction to kind of who you are, what your role is, and then just give a a basic introduction about what Emory Water Conservancy District does, what your mission is, and kind of who you serve uh, with your organization. Okay. My name is Jay Humphrey. I'm the general manager for the Emory Water Conservancy District. I've been with the district for 33 years and have been the general manager for 32. We found out early in my career that water records and accounting for water is very important because it stops the conflict between the different water users. So in 1992, Emory County Commission gave the Emory Water Conservancy District the responsibility of measuring all the water and recording it that comes into Emory County and goes out. Now we have four river systems that we do monitor. They're the Muddy, the Fern Creek, Cottonwood Creek, and Huntington Creek. Today, we have over 400 sites measuring water. We control reservoirs remotely. We have cameras on critical sites, and there is some security at each one of them. We also modify weather to enhance the snowpack of our our county and increase the river flows in the spring. All right. And do you also have a distribution component as part of operations? We do. The Emory Ward Conservancy District managed the Emory County project, which was built by the Bureau of Reclamation. In that project, we have two reservoirs, which is the Joes Valley Reservoir and the Huntington North Reservoir, a diversion dam, 
and a 17-mile canal that transports water from one drainage to the other. We also deliver water to Pacific Corp to a coal-fired power generation plant. And about how many acres is your distribution area? We're close to 30,000 acres in our distribution areas, but that's just the Huntington and Cottonwood Creek area. Our district provides services throughout the whole county. So uh, we're, we're providing more services than just to the Emory County project. Mm -hmm. So really you're the largest water provider in, the, in Emory County. Yes, we are. Great, awesome. Well, Jay, I would love to, I wanna kind of get into a little bit more of the specifics of your project, um, but I'd like to give an opportunity for Amy to give a little brief introduction. And so Amy, could you please kind of talk about who you are, what your role is, and then give us a little background of the Rural Water Technology Alliance. Yeah, um, I actually just run the day-to-day -day operations for the Rural Water Technology Alliance. Um, most of my time is spent in educating people uh, about the benefits of using technology. And uh, the Rural Water Technology Alliance is just a nonprofit. Basically, we're dedicated to building efficient and well-managed irrigation water systems. It was formed a long time ago. It's been, what, almost 20 years now, Jay? Yes. It was formed just to assist in implementing low-cost monitoring and automation technology. At the time, there wasn't a lot available. Uh, there was brand new technology that was being introduced and being developed right here in our state through the Bureau of Reclamation originally. And so the alliance was formed to make really good use of that technology and make it available to other people. So we, we basically facilitate opportunities for water companies, water districts, individual water users, state and federal entities to work together. And, you know, through modernization and rehabilitation and automation of the irrigation systems and their management, we've been able to increase the water use efficiency through really timely information, mm -hmm. um, the state of, the, of their systems, and improve operational efficiency with the ability for them to make release change and a time change uh, needed to optimize their system. Great. So could you guys give us like a little bit of a history of kind of what originally, Jay, you mentioned that kind of early in the 90s, you were given a mandate from the county to keep better records about water delivery in the county. Can you guys talk about how when you first started your alliance and partnership, what did you look at in terms of what kind of technologies were you looking to implement and kind of what were your goals when you were first starting out? And then can we talk about kind of where you guys got to today and what your thoughts are on that? Mm -hmm. Emily, let me start with this because uh, I've been here from the beginning and we found when we started, we could find the hardware and we could create the communication paths to bring in the information from a remote site back to the office. But what do you do with all that information you're collecting every hour off these canals and reservoirs? That was one of the biggest dilemmas that we had. And at that time, there was this little thing called the internet was brand new. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't know how to implement it into daily use. The Bureau of Reclamation were, was excellent, and they did write some software that we started using. But we found out that we needed a more complex software program, and it wasn't out there. 
we could not find a, a program that had been written. So three of us, the counties, it was the uh, severe uh, water users and Duchesne County and Emory Water that made this alliance, RWTA. And one of the first tasks was to develop a software that we could collect the information and then get it out to our end users by an easy way, which was the internet. And that has been proved very, very beneficial. And Jay, if you could just step us one step back too. So for those listeners who are kind of, you know, more on the interested in citizen side, what kind of information were you collecting that you were hoping the software would help you better deliver to the end user? You know, like what, what are the information that you're recording? Is it mostly just kind of CFS flows or, you know, what, when you have a, a piece of hardware collecting the information, what, it, what are the data points that it's actually collecting? Well, you got to understand we're collecting real time. So that means that we're collecting every hour, which helps, but, we started with just stage height and CFS, and uh, that seemed to excite more interest in it. And we were also collecting the records to have a permanent record of the amount of acre feet that is being used on each system. And so as you get one tool working really well, people think of different ideas and they want something more. And it just kept growing and growing. And we started, first of all, with our local customers, which was the federal reservoirs and canal. Mm -hmm. Then the other irrigation companies started seeing how well this was working and how we weren't having the conflicts because the records were published and everybody could see it was transparent to all the water users. And one canal company asked, well, we like that. And when that was done, the next canal company says, well, we want that. And it just snowballed. And they've been very satisfied because it stopped about 95% of the water conflict. When you have two water users that's arguing about the same ditch or the same acre foot of water, water records are very important. Yeah. So then, you know, in the mid-90s, you had all this data that you were collecting, you know, CFS flow, acre foot, foot, foot diversion, um, I think you said stage height information. And you needed to have a software to kind of um, to make that a little more user friendly. And this is where the Rural Water Technology Alliance comes in. What, what were the kind of the things that you designed software to do to make that information more user friendly? You know, how did you organize it in a way that was useful to the average water user? A couple of the things that we did early on, um, it, you know, it was, it was really designed as a control system and an integrated planning, modeling, forecasting system. It took about five years to develop it. And the purpose of it was, again, so that the information could be used on a management level, but also made available to the general public, to anybody who was interested in the water. And so that, that became a very valuable tool um, in a different way than was originally planned, but it did become a, a very valuable tool. Mm -hmm did you guys kind of just provide like publicly available databases or, you know, what, what, what was the end user experience for this information? Originally the end user had to know their gate number and they'd have to call a telephone number and they could only see one data point at that call. And that wasn't enough. They needed to see what the whole system was doing. 
The software actually provides a really seamless interface between the canal operators and all the stakeholders, and it gives accurate and defensible water data and transparency. Mm-hmm. So they can kind of see all the data points and kind of put them in perspective to kind of get a better picture of the overall water in the system. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever looked at uh, water data or information on the state site, but what you see is a whole bunch of numbers, literally. Just a whole bunch of. If you don't know how to interpret that or how to read that, it's very useless information to pretty much anybody in the public who's not familiar with it. So, what the software has done is taken that data or information, interprets it, puts it in a very readable, uh, user friendly format. And that makes a lot of difference, makes all the difference. Yeah. Like right now I have my screen up and I'm looking at your teacup diagram for the Conservancy District. And so for a listener, since obviously this isn't visual, can you explain kind of that element of the software and kind of how that helps people? Well, you've got to understand you, we're not doing it just for the water users. We're doing it for the residents of Emory County. And so we have recreationists that looking at it. We have public entities like the Forest Service BLM that looks at it. We have county commissioners that look at it. We have school teachers that teach off it when they have one of their uh, chapters that they need to have water information. We started, we didn't think we'd have many hits per hour, but we're we're well over two or 3,000 hits per hour on our software. Oh, that is a lot. And, and it seems like, I mean, this is in the summertime, water is very critical. And most water users will tell you, I don't want to use your water. I want to use my water. But they want to see if, if you're using their water. And so everybody usually looks at this website that we have at their particular canal or diversion or meter station. And, uh, and they watch it. And, a lot of times we don't have to find the problems when uh, if a piece of equipment is malfunctioning, the water users will call us. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a good a good discussion about how uh, this water user data is helpful for water users in the sense of it, it provides them a, a transparent record, as Amy stated, um, for understanding their water use and their neighbor's water use. How has this information, this technology helped you with management decisions? Has it made you change how you distribute water? Has it made it change, you know, what your actual hard infrastructure is in terms of made you identify perhaps like a canal lining project or, you know, how has this fit into kind of the big picture management of the district? Okay, let's go back before we had it. Just to drive to my diversions and... Cottonwood Creek diversions because of the reservoir sits on Cottonwood Creek. It would take me five hours just to read one site. Uh, so that's five hours per day that I was driving. Water changes by the hour sometimes. And uh, or if a gate malfunctions, you send surplus water down one uh, gate or one canal and you short it somebody else. What this has done, we've stopped the waste on our system, probably by 90%. So 
it, it's water conservation because we know what the water is. We can look at our systems every hour if we need to. Uh, we can see if a reservoir is ready to spill or a regulating reservoir ready to spill, or if a canal has too much water or a pipeline has too much pressure in it. It's a good management tool. And we are delivering our water probably as efficient as we've ever have in the past. And I would dare say we're running 90, 95% efficient. Well, those are good numbers. I know, Jay, we were talking, uh, you know, even when he only gets, you know, they a couple of years ago, they had 27% of their runoff year and they were able to deliver 75% of the state appropriated water and 100% of the federal water. So the system itself has created that that sense of efficiency uh, for their water just their water conservancy district. Uh, you know they've had a 20%, I would say 20 to 25% overall water savings, which is huge. It's very significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. My my end users, my water users didn't even realize that we were in a severe drought in 2018. They got so much of the water. They knew it was in a drought, but they didn't know how severe. We delivered water clear until middle of September that year. And if we were didn't have this monitoring program and our pressurized irrigation, it had been done in July. That's how bad a year it was. So this seems like an incredibly valuable tool for your conservancy district and the water users and, and the residents of the county. Can you talk a little bit about what kind of investment it takes to first acquire and develop a tool like this, but but also to maintain it? Because I do think that is one of the, the questions we have here in the state. You know, we talk regularly about, you know, increasing monitoring and measuring and metering, but those those tasks don't come without cost and and and, the, and a significant cost in many circumstances. So, you know, can you just give me a little idea of kind of what the what the cost is to the conservancy district to have a system like this? Okay, when we started, we we didn't have funds available to do this, so we went through truth and taxation and asked the people of Emory County, would they support this program. Now, water is very important down here. We didn't have one descending vote, and I've been back to them again in the 30 30 years that I've been doing this, and nobody complains about the money we spend. Yes, it's expensive. At a typical site, you probably will have whole $3,000 worth of equipment, and uh, and then another $1,000 worth of programming at each site. It is equipment, so these, it does fail. You have to maintain it. Uh, we started with a $250,000 grant and $250,000 of our own money that the taxpayers put up. Uh, today, with all our sites in, we're we're still spending about a hundred thousand dollars a year, but we're doing four hundred sites. Now, if you start adding up the acre foot, it's less than a fifty cents an acre foot that we're spending mm-hmm. for to for accounting water. But a lot of people have a hard time when you say, "Well, the equipment costs three to five thousand dollars to install a site." 
but that equipment will last 10, 15, 20 years unless it gets vandalized or elements will get to it like a lightning strike. There's, there's a lot of things that hamper to it, but it, there, the equipment is quite robust. And do you also have staff? Yes, I have one full-time man that manages it. He does. I'm the only one who runs the, the alliance and takes care of the software maintenance and that type of thing. So, but Jay does because you've got to have, you have, so one of the key components to making this work is having someone invested in the system. It's having someone who's going to take some ownership of the system and, and learn how to maintain the hardware and have a pretty good working knowledge of the software, which is, you know, one of, one of the things that uh, the Emory study that we just did, one of the, the conclusions we came to was there really needs to be more training. We're just at the tip of the iceberg of technology in Utah, and we're already exhausting all of our resources as far as people who are trained and able to maintain these systems. And so one focus really right now needs to be in training more people and educating more people and being able to utilize the technology that's already available but that is a really key component right now. So Jay has to have someone helping him. I mean, we're talking thousands of miles of canals, you know, hundreds of miles of canal systems that need to be, uh, have hardware maintained on them. And you also have to have some sort of a, a software knowledge as well. So where would one go to get that training? Would you go to like a Davis Technical College or, or are there like programs that are just like a add-on certificate? Like if we need to fill this void of um, an absence of technical people to assist, where would we go to bolster that up? Well, I really wish we could just go to a technical college and, and pick some students. That would be fantastic, wouldn't it, Jay? Uh, right now, it's really specialized. So again, this, this particular uh, field was, was developed with the Bureau of Reclamation and Provo here in Utah. They had trained personnel um, Jay's learned how to do it. All the districts that have been implementing it have, most of them have somebody that knows how to do it, but there is not one central place for you to go and find somebody that has expertise. And it really needs to be learned. There needs to be a technical background knowledge. So they do need to have some, maybe some engineering training or some kind of, some kind of propensity to be able to do software or, or build, but really the hands-on knowledge working in the field, you know, internships, interning in places that are already doing this kind of thing are, are just the most valuable way to learn it and kind of the most difficult because it's not like you can just go trade. I mean, we could probably develop and devise a curriculum that would be geared towards this, but the most valuable information would be hands-on training. Right. And Amy and I have had several offline discussions, you know, about their software, which is called Exact Track. And um, Amy, could you kind of just clue in the listeners a little bit too about how that software is developed? Because it's really system dependent as well, correct? Because one of the questions, and the reason I'm asking this question is if we look to monitoring and measuring as a very useful tool for the future, you know, as Jay said, they're, they're running at 95% efficiency, which is if every system in the state could run at 95% efficiency, you know, we would find, quote unquote, you know, a fair amount of water to reallocate for the many needs that we have. But every system is different. And, and so could you explain a little bit about like what, what it would take to potentially scale up a process like you guys have for other sites in the state? Actually, what we have is extremely scalable, I would say. And, and we aren't the only ones, we, we don't have pulled the corner on this technology, but what we did do was we developed 
it as a group um, to make it a low cost option for other districts because you will find as you work in Agwater, there's not usually a lot of extra money uh, for, <laughs> for funding these kinds of projects. And so we tried to develop something that was as cost as possible for them. Um, what we found originally was that when we started building the software, there were a lot of different needs. Um, Emory maybe wanted something a little bit different than Severe, and Severe wanted something a little bit different than Duchesne, and these were our three main districts that were working on the project. And as the software was being developed, it kind of became very burdensome uh, to try, and the Bureau of Reclamation was trying to uh, service each one of these districts separately. And so we, uh, they all came together and said, hey, let's take what we have, let's have some software written that is uh, incorporates all of our quote unquote wish lists, which were really, really well um, thought out wish lists, I, sh I should say, because they were working, these are the boots on the ground, right? This is everybody who's out running the water, uh, the water managers, the information that they need, the information that needs to get to the state, what's helpful for them for forecasting, what's helpful for them for other, you know, management operations. And so the software was written and they have implemented this software. And when it was written, it was written very well. It's very scalable uh, because there is not a lot of uh, progress right this very minute in water, I'm gonna say in water as far as technology goes, especially in the ag sector then I think the software has been written, it will be valuable for years to come and it's always being upgraded and maintained as we go along. So that's part of what's built into it is how do we make it better? How do we keep it current? What do we do to make it you know, as valuable as possible to the people who are using it? And so I think with that in mind, developing that software, having that be available, like Jay said, all of a sudden you had other companies saying, hey, we, you know, we wanna be able to do what you're doing. And the key component, component was being able to take that data, that information, interpret it and display it on a web page that was very user-friendly and easy for people to decipher and, and to get the information they needed at their fingertips. We are getting the water records that we want and we can go back and look at them, but we found out it's a management tool and real-time management makes it where you can conserve water and use it to the most beneficial use. And so like with the state engineer, their records come in and sometimes they're a month old, sometimes they're six months old before they get them out to the users. Well, that's a retention record, but as for a management tool, you need it within the hour, within the day. And that's what this system does for us in Emory County. We know if there's gonna be a surplus or a a shortfall or a something going on bad because we have alarms on it. This software will give alarms when things are out of parameters. That's one thing, but we've also approached it as a countywide basis. The water users here do not pay for this monitoring system. The people of Emory County do it through their tax dollars and they're grateful for it. So you have to find a good funding source because water users' money, they don't make a lot of money in ag off their water. You may think they do, but time they buy the tractors and the fuels and the fertilizer and what else they have, they don't make a high wage. And so we went to the taxpayers, the people in the county, and they supported us really well. And there has not been a complaint. 
to me yet that we're wasting their money. It has been extremely beneficial in all of our three main districts. Um, and when you talk about it being scalable or, you know, can we duplicate, can we re replicate it across the state? I think we have proven that time and time again that the models that we're using, even though the hardware might change or the, you know, whoever's running the district might change, but what we're doing is easily, we can replicate it, we can scale it, and it is valuable. Anytime we improve water efficiency anywhere, it's valuable to the entire state. Mm -hmm. And so as we improve water efficiency in some of these very small areas, it grows and it becomes very valuable to the state as a whole. Now, talking about some of the data and reports like the state is getting the information, like Jay said, we've gone from water tracking to water management. And the state is going to have to do the same thing. We need to be managing the water more than just tracking the water. And that's kind of what ha what's happening right now, except for with these systems where the state is able to get this data immediately, as soon as they want it, anytime they want it. The other thing is when you have a good program that's taking your information and some of these calculations, some of the water that needs to be reported, these are technical mathematical calculations. And so by having the software in place, it eliminates a lot of that human error. Um, we have, you have a better, more accurate reporting system. And again, that just helps everyone across the state. Yeah. We, we've also found with our end users that when they know how many acre feet they're using, they conserve the water better. And so they don't seem to want to waste a lot of water. They want to use it to the most beneficial good. And that has been a great improvement because uh, a lot of people, well, they'll say, nobody's seen me use this extra water. Well, what we've done down here is, yeah, we can see it. And we're showing the, the world that what you're using. And it helps a bunch on water conservation. Well, and to that point, Emily, I know you're very interested in water banking. But to that point in water banking, to have these accurate records and this accurate information certainly would make water banking a lot more viable and a lot more use, uh, usable. Yes. One of the projects we've been talking a lot about in our office of late is now that we're starting to see activities of a scale, you know, we're moving kind of from smaller pilot projects to kind of larger, you know, mid-tier implementation of like new tech, new irrigation technologies that reduce your water, you know, your water consumption or new uh, experimenting with new crops that might um, deplete less water than alfalfa. You know, really what we need to do is, and this is kind of one of the reasons actually why I wanted to do, do this podcast, is there needs to be a marrying of the legal doctrine with the practical, practical application of water so that, you know, we encourage water users to invest in conservation methods so that we can, you know, again, quote unquote, find um, some new water through conservation. So, so Jay, if, if you have a system that really allows your water users to understand how much water they're actually using and how much water you're delivering, what on the ground impacts have you seen that result in, in terms of are people investing in new technologies that are um, conserving water? How is that changing kind of the end users' actual application of water on the ground? 
Well, when they can see their water in real time, they're not wasting it. In other words, they're not running it off their ground. And they can afford to put in the pivots or more expensive ones, the drip systems, because they can account for the water and know that they're going to make some money off it. Water is, we're not creating any more water. We're having a lot more demand on it. So uh, it helps the end users to know where they're at. It's just kind of like monitoring your bank account. You get so much money every month and you know how much is in it and you don't want to overspend because you get those little notes from the bank. So with this case on the water in, if they're known they're going to get a hundred acre feet for the month of July, that's what they'll plant their crops to. That's what their equipment will be geared to. And they'll want to use it for the whole month, not just for 10 days in the month of July. Before they never had the tools. Now the tools are out there and, and really they're really cost effective. Uh, it seems like a lot of money, but when you start looking at what a cost of an acre foot is, especially in the industrial ream of things, it's really quite effective. As this is a system that is, you know, funded by taxpayer dollars through the Conservancy District taxes, you know, have you seen that the results of this have really kind of um, created an economic boom in the area in the sense that people are investing more in their, uh, into their operations? What, what we're seeing is we're, we're, we're reducing the conflicts between the municipalities and the ag users. We're seeing more uh, crops being grown where they can sell more uh, to, you know, re, to recover their costs. You used to have a lot of conflicts along the ditches, and you always seen the two people with two shovels fighting. You just don't see that conflict as bad, not even close as bad. So yes, we're seeing more crops being grown so they can sell more. We're seeing more livestock uh, being taken care of better. We're seeing industrial users that are very conscientious of the water because uh, now they know exactly how much they're getting. Uh, we're seeing cities underneath pressurized irrigation that are not having to lease a lot of extra water to make it through the season there are just a lot of benefits and very few downsides to this. The downside is somebody's got to care about it. Somebody's got to take care of the equipment and somebody's got to keep the software running. That, that is the key. When you don't have somebody caring about uh, taking an interest in it, uh, things do not go well. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a I think that it's a really good and very salient point because I think a lot of the discussion about infrastructure in the state is focused on, you know, hard concrete infrastructure, you know, maintaining the dams and maintaining the wastewater treatment system, but this is also infrastructure and and thinking of you know, retooling our thinking to include technology as infrastructure, I think is a really important thing that we as a state need to start doing so that, you know, neglect, like you just mentioned, doesn't happen. And so that this is still considered part of the water infrastructure. Yeah. 
Can you guys please just give us a couple examples of what some of the challenges are that you see for implementing systems like this across the state? Jay talked about how he was able to um, get tax dollars to fund this. One of the things we didn't talk about that were, were the initial resistance to doing this. Um, you know, there were some people who were resistant. It was a little bit tough to kind of get things going. Once, once we got a project going uh, and Jay had some nice things in place, then people became a little bit more interested. And so moving forward, one of the things you may want to consider or we may want to consider as a state is how how do we how do we use that uh, to help other people feel more comfortable? Because, you know, they've been doing water for a long time. This is like years and years of hard work. We're just trying to optimize it for the future. And we want them to be able to trust and to know that what is happening is really going to be beneficial for them. And that's a that's a hard change for some of these um, really hardworking farmers who've been doing this for a really long time the exact same way. And so building on what you just said, that we have a system that is in place, it works, these are people that you know, and typically they are leaders in the community, uh, forward-thinking people who have been able to adopt and adapt to this kind of technology. And as others see their example, then it helps it to move forward. And so we really should be taking advantage of all of those, and not in a bad way, in a good way, taking advantage to, to move this forward across the state uh, by showing what they have done and, and using their example. It takes a lot, doesn't it, Jay? It takes a lot to get in people's trust. It, it does, but you can't, you can't, try to do a whole system in one year. You have to pick a few key sites and learn it and then expand on it. We started with 19, and it, but we've been doing this for 29 years. It, in other words, you would get discouraged trying to do a whole complete system in one year. It's just too big of a job. That's a good point. It is a good point. And part of part of the the challenge is um, we've been called in to do some water projects and some water jobs that we've had a lot of they've, they've been put in by someone who hasn't worked in water. And so some of what's there is good from an engineering standpoint, but not really from a, somebody who understands water and what people need. And so it's great to have that valuable information from people like Jay and others who are running their districts the same way. It takes a lot of time to build a system. It takes a good amount of money to build a system, uh, but the end result is you've got a really great return on your investment and we've got a good handle on how much water we actually have in our state. And that will be beneficial to everyone. You gotta have somebody who knows it and learns it. And the best way to do that is to start small-ish if it's a brand new area, unless you've got a lot of resources to just pull in experts from different fields. Start small and start local. Get the people who are on the ground to really be your advisors. Yep. Great. Yeah, no, I think that's an incredibly important consideration and I'm really glad that we're able to include that. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I think that we kind of covered some of the main points that I wanted to talk about in terms of you know what your system does and, and who you supply water to and kind of its role in future water management. Do either of you have a, a, anything that you wanted to add that we didn't get a chance to talk about? No, I think just one of the things that we were talking about, just because I, I know some of the work that the Ag Water uh, Task Force has been doing as well, um, 
think that the systems that we have put in place um, really do help with all of all of the key points that they're trying to, um, all of their goals that they're trying to do. So, you know, it helps optimize water supply and water use. It improves the quantification of ag water use on pretty much every level. Um, it's shown to not just maintain, but increase ag production and reducing diversion and consumption. And so we have some really great technology and we have some really great tools and some of our focus maybe just needs to be on saying, look, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We've spent the last 20 years inventing this wheel. It's a pretty good wheel. It can continue to evolve and it can continue to expand. But let's take what we have. Let's build on what we've got. Let's use the advantage of, you know, in the beginning, lots of money was spent. And I'm not going to say wasted because it led to a good outcome. But lots of money was invested that had to be reinvested because there was a lot of trial and error. And we've kind of gotten past a lot of the trial and error now, and more of it is just evolving. And so let's build on what we've already been able to create and let's take it from there and move it. And we know that we could, by implementing that, we can have a water savings, you know, across the state. I we do I do something called a what if, and I kind of like, you know, wouldn't it be great if you woke up tomorrow and you found out you had 25% more water than we thought we had in the state? Wouldn't it be great if everyone could get that information just by the click of a mouse? And wouldn't it be great if everyone who needed that information could access it very easily? And wouldn't it be great if we were saving hundreds of thousands of dollars in man hours and thousands of acre feet of water every single year? just by implementing a management system and manage the water instead of just tracking the water. Let me give you one story. And I, this is a river system that the Joe's Valley Reservoir sits on. And uh, before we went to the uh, electronic monitoring and controls, we had to put what they call shrink water in a river because it went to seven diversions, different diversions. And the river commissioner had ground on all of them. And so we, we would add an extra 20 acre feet a day and our water season's about 150 days. So that's about 3000 acre feet. And this water would be moving up and down, but it was what was called carrier water. It was never charged. Now 3000 acre feet will water a lot of families. It'll water about uh, 700, 800 acre feet or acres of ground. Well, it was unaccountable water. And once we put the electronic equipment on and started to put it out on the internet where everybody could see that this diversion got more water per share than that diversion, things started tightening up. And that's what this equipment does. It will, you don't have to invent more water, but it will account for all the water. It'll make it, it's, it makes it go further, you know. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I think. I mean, we have such a rich history of water in the state and we've always planned on it. You know, And I say this literally every single episode that, you know, the one thing that Utah does is, is planning well. And I feel like we're just now at a stage where we reach such a, a critical mass of people, of demand, of, you know, interest that we really do have to tar start tightening the screws down. You know, we really have to kind of start, you know, being way more conscientious about 
our resources. And it's just so exciting to see a project bring that into action. Um, I've had a couple interviews recently that were quite depressing about the state of water in the future. And so um, I am loving the optimism that, that you guys are bringing to the table because it's happening and you're seeing it and you're seeing, you're seeing the results, which is great uh, and something that I hope that we can adopt uh, across the state more broadly. I think that right now we're going to have more opportunities than ever before to just improve our water systems and all of their management. You know, agriculture's changing and with the change, irrigation technology evolves. And it's evolving at a very fast pace right now. And there's a lot of major drive to modernize our irrigation and our supply infrastructure and improve its efficiency. So there's a ton of water being lost. What we want to do is just help capture that by investment and improve it. And I think we all have some similar goals. We just want water to be efficient and to be captured in the best way to serve our state that we can possibly do it. Yeah, agreed. We'd be glad to show any water users, take them on a tour, show them how this equipment works and how it benefits real time on site. Um, I wanna come on a tour. Can I come on a tour? <laughs> Anytime you give me a time and we it'll take about a day uh-huh. or even I can even do a half a day, but I'd love to bring you down here to Emory County and show you around. Well, I want to thank you too for your time today. Um, this has been a great discussion. I'm excited to end on a, on a happy note for once. And um, I'm excited to see kind of how this continues to grow and hopefully we can call upon your expertise to help us uh, apply this more broadly across the state. Thanks very much, uh, Emily. Thank you, Emily. I want to put one more thing in. Yes. It takes a lot of work, and somebody cares, and that's going to be the critical issue. It's not a nine-to-five job. It's a seven-day-a-week job, 24 hours a day, and that's what you have to – when you deliver water, you have to be committed. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Nothing said in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. This podcast was produced by Mackenzie Nichols. Find Ripple Effect on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.